Everybody knows what shame is. I actually looked up the definition, the biblical definition, because it's in the Bible a lot. Okay, so if you like the coordinates numbers, shame is 5947. You're looking it up. And it says it's an uncomfortable feeling of guilt and humiliation, usually arising from sin or failure. An uncomfortable feeling of guilt and humiliation, usually arising from sin or failure. So I thought this was interesting how it's a feeling. Shame is a feeling. Now, why do we have feelings, right? Like, what are some of the feelings that we have, right? Sometimes we feel angry. Sometimes we feel happy. Sometimes we we say we feel love, like I'm in love, right? I I just feel love. And now some of our feelings are shame. Well, feelings are actually a gift from God. They don't always feel that way, do they, though? I mean, like, love and joy and all the good feelings feel great. And we're so glad that, like, we don't just go through life just like, I don't feel anything, right? Just the same every day. Feelings, you know, like we wake up, I feel great today. I feel great today, right? That's a good feeling. We're happy when we feel great. But then there's other days when we wake up and we're like, I feel like, yuck, right? So why do we have feelings and why are they a gift from God? Well, God wanted us to be able to know how are we reacting to the situation around us and what's going on. But Satan always tries to twist those feelings, Okay, so let's use anger for an example. Anger is actually a gift from God. If you didn't have anger rise up in you when somebody was doing something wrong, you would never act to do something different about it, right? If we didn't rise up during World War II in anger and say, hey, what Hitler is doing to all these people is wrong, we never would have been you know, driven to get into the war and to help end what was happening. Anger drove us to produce justice, okay? But now Satan will take some of these feelings and will twist them, right? So instead of maybe anger rising up and saying, I'm going to change something or I'm going to recognize why is this feeling of anger there, what's happening, what's causing this, right? Because anger is just a feeling, it's not the root cause. That's somebody's behavior that's causing this anger. Or maybe it's my behavior that's causing the anger. If I don't recognize where the root cause is, anger can get twisted, right? All of a sudden, maybe I'm really, really angry because my mother passed away and I'm going through a grief process. But instead, Satan's twisting that and I'm not taking the time to maybe process my mother's anger. And instead, I'm yelling at my kids all the time for no reason. Now, all of a sudden, this feeling that I have that came for a reason that should lead me to do something different over here has been twisted, and now it's affecting my relationships over here. So we know that feelings can get twisted, right? We know, oh, I'm so in love with somebody. Well, sometimes it's just lust, right? Let's just be real. It's not love. It's lust. And that feeling, all of a sudden, it gets twisted, and our eyes deceive us, and we think, oh, I just want this person. Oh, they, they're so in love. And we can, we can do things that, you know, it's not really from God. It's not really something that's good. It can be twisted, and now all of a sudden, it becomes something bad. Well, shame is the same way. How could shame ever be good, Mary? Well, <laughs> right, there's godly sorrow 
that, that tries to point things out to us. We're going to read about that scripture. And then there's worldly sorrow. See, shame can come on us in many different ways. Uh, for some of us, it's childhood, right? We can look back and say, hey, there were moments in my childhood where maybe my parents, right, uh, were mad at me and there was some guilt, right? Or maybe there was some sort of something happened with classmates or with a teacher and it caused humiliation, right? That was the definition. Remember, there's two different ways that things can affect you. It says, shame is an uncomfortable feeling of guilt, and or humiliation, usually arising from sin or failure, but usually, not always. Sometimes it happens because of the fault of somebody else's sin, right? So if I have in my childhood, if I, you know, am growing up and I'm learning how to do something and I'm really greedy, right, you know, and it's Easter time, I go to grandma's house and I take all the chocolate, and I put it in my Easter basket, and I sit in the corner and eat it. And all my cousins are sitting back going, hey, where'd gra- grandma, I thought, always got us a chocolate bunny, and they're all gone. And I got 10 chocolate bunnies in my basket, right? Now, my parents might use this as a lesson and say, now, Mary, we know you like chocolate, but that was wrong. Like, grandma bought one for each person. You need to share Now, all of a sudden, I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I see what I did. What do I do? I change my behavior. I learn a lesson. I grow. That's godly sorrow, right? Like, it's my consciousness. It says the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts. Satan will try to condemn us. So I feel convicted. I realize, like, oh, I I should do something different here. I get up. I hand out the rest of the chocolate bunnies to everybody. And I move on. And the shame is done. I felt it for a moment. It caused me to change my behavior, and it's done. Now, there's other times, though. Let's think about childhood. Maybe we're in school, and somebody, because of their sin, because of their insecurity, right? I remember one time I came to school, and I had a new dress. I was so excited. I had this new dress. I thought I looked so nice in this new dress. Well, one of the other girls who didn't have a dress, right, And she felt jealous, the fact that it was picture day and I had a dress on, instead began to humiliate me and tease me in front of the other kids. Now, did that arise from my sin? No, that arose from her sin in her heart, right? We all have sin we're dealing with, and hers, it was jealousy. And so she humiliates me in front of everybody, and I feel shame. Now, see, that was a twisted version of that feeling. The reality is... I didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing I needed to change. It was literally a humiliation from somebody else. And this is where it diverges in how we approach shame. In most cases, when it's our sin, it's something we're doing, we realize, oh, this is like a consequence of earthly sin. God's forgiven me, but man, every time I go out drinking and I get sick and I feel so ashamed the next day. That's my sin. I need to change my behavior, right? That's one course that shame pushes us is a change in our behavior. But when it's somebody trying to humiliate us and it's something we can't change, right? Like if I go to a local pastor's meeting and one of the guys gets up and, and makes a big deal about, oh, God's going to bless all the brothers here at church, you know, that are leading churches, and I'm sitting there feeling humiliated because I'm not a brother in the Lord. I can't change that, right? So now I'm on this shame path that someone's trying to put on me, Satan's trying to put on me and humiliate me, where the response is that I'm going to change my behavior. I'm not going to come to the next pastor's meeting dressed like a dude. I'm just not going to do it. 
I'm not going to go get a sex change and say, oh, well, if I was a guy, I could be a better pastor. No, I'm not going to do that. So what do we do then when it's humiliation and somebody else's sin is trying to put shame on us? We have to, right, first of all, forgive them. That's hard. We have to put the cover it with the blood of Jesus. We have to have to say, Lord Jesus, I forgive that person. And I'm going to have to not care what they think or not care what they say. I'm going to have to have a mind change. So see, change always leads us down two different paths. It's either a behavior change or it's a thinking change. Otherwise, the shame will linger and will want to stay on us. That's when, you know, when we have long nights and you're laying in bed and you can't sleep, and all of a sudden you think about something from your childhood. It's, sometimes we think about something good from our childhood, but a lot of times, what does Satan do? He reminds us of those times when we were humiliated or something bad happened or we made a bad choice, right? Maybe it's not even from our childhood. Maybe it was from last week, right? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why, you know, we, don't we, am I the only one that's ever laid in bed at night and thought, like, oh, why, right? We do that. So, Satan will try to torment us with shame. And the reality is we have to face it head on. This is just a consequence, right? Anger is just a consequence of living on the earth. There are going to be times when you're angry. And you have to decide, am I going to change my behavior and try to do something else? Or am I going to change my thinking and let this go? Right? If I'm angry because, you know, somebody... Um, that I work with is being mean and horrible to my coworkers. Maybe I can change my behavior and go talk to somebody about it. Go talk to a supervisor and say, "Hey, are you aware that this person is doing this?" Or maybe I should look at the situation and say, "Okay, hey, this coworker is always cranky around lunch. I notice they don't have any lunch. Maybe I'm going to bring an extra sandwich and say, "Hey, I got an extra sandwich. Do you need an extra sandwich?" And maybe their behavior will change because they're hungry, right? So I'm going to either change my behavior and try to do something about it. Or I'm going to change my thinking and say, okay, right? I feel like my rights are being violated, and that's why I'm angry. Do I really have a right to have this be this way? Right? Do I need to change my thinking? So shame will try to come on us because it's a feeling, just like anger will come on us, and it's a feeling, just like happiness will come on us, and it's a feeling. And you have to decide what to do with it. See, the good feelings, we just enjoy them. We just feel them and we just embrace them, try to hold on to them for as long as we can, right? And that sometimes can cause problems. That's how good feelings get twisted. Well, but Mary, I just feel so great when I, you know, do whatever, take these drugs or when I have sex with whoever finds me attractive or whatever, right? Whenever I do these things. Well, you're trying to hold on to a good feeling, but are you doing it the right way? Is there going to be a consequence to that path that you're taking? Now, so what's the purpose, though, of letting go of the shame? We don't need to hold on to any of these feelings. When you try to hold on to a good feeling for too long, you end up doing things bad to get it. When you hold on to a bad feeling too long, then it begins to affect your mind, right? And it can affect how you react to things. So we have to ask ourselves, all right, Is this guilt or is this humiliation? Those are our questions with shame. What is the origin of this? If it's guilt, okay, I know better, I can do better. Maybe I've tried. Maybe I've tried to do better a few times and, and I need help, right? I need to go to a doctor. I need to go to a support group. I need to go to a therapist. I need to go to my pastor. I need to go to a friend. 
In, in, in church world, we call it having an accountability partner. You have somebody that you know is going to ask you about this one area in your life, right? Um, for a lot of guys with, like, pornography addictions or um, for people, you know, with alcoholism or drugs, they, they go and they have um, sponsors, they call them, you know, or accountability partners. And you go to that person, you say, hey, look, I, you know, I don't need to share my sins with everybody. I'm forgiven. I know the Lord helps me and he forgives me. But I am struggling in this area of my life in the earthly consequences of it. I don't want in my life anymore. So I need to talk to somebody and have them be a partner to kind of help me. Somebody that will ask me about it. And that I promise I won't ever lie to you about it. So if you know that your accountability partner is going to call you every Friday morning and say, How are you doing? What's going on? How are you feeling? Right? Um, You know, okay, hey, you're feeling like you might having a stressful week and you might want to stop tonight on your way home and grab something you shouldn't grab or hop online and look at something you shouldn't look at. Okay, what is your strategy? What are you going to do different, right? And you have somebody that's holding you accountable and is asking you, what are we going to do different here? Um, and so that is a path that will help us let go of our shame because then it, by Saturday you can be like, yeah, I made it through Friday night, okay. I had a plan. I took, I know I picked up my kids and I took them to the movies instead and, and, we, and then we went over to Applebee's and got late night, you know, appetizers and then by the time I went home I was so tired I went right to sleep. I didn't have any problems. I didn't have any addictions that called my name. I, I came up with a different plan. I came up with a different strategy. So that's one way, right? Is If it is something that's guilt, that if it is something that you feel ashamed of that you're doing that you know you shouldn't do, that you don't want to do, The question is, is what are you doing about it, right? Who are you talking to? How are you getting help? For some people, it's getting out a prayer journal and talking to God about it. We're all different. We know historically with human beings that support groups help, that having somebody you talk to about it helps. That, you know, seeing a therapist and kind of finding out where's the origin of this and dealing with that, all of a sudden those will kind of help. We also know that there is spiritual things that cause this. Right? Because we've got a body, soul, and spirit. Sometimes it's our physical body that we have to get corrected. Sometimes it's our soul, our relationships, and that's why the earthly support groups and counseling helps. And sometimes it is our spirit. Right? And there's just demonic influences. The Bible says Satan wants to come to kill, to steal, destroy. And he will tempt us. That's why in our Father prayer, we're supposed to pray every single day. Lead me not into temptation but deliver me from the evil one. So sometimes it's just demonic, right? And we just need to, you know, not think, I got to be bigger and stronger than the devil. You got to just know God's bigger and stronger than the devil, and he loves you, and you just got to call on his name. And you say, in the name of Jesus, any demonic powers that are trying to influence me, I tell you to leave right now in the name of Jesus. And sometimes that's calling on the elders of the church or the pastor of the church to come pray over a place. See, Satan will sometimes, his influence is over a location, and sometimes Satan will try to influence a person. What does that mean? Well, you know, you can't tell me you go into certain buildings that there's not demonic influences that just like to hang out there and like to influence the people that walk into that place, right? You know, you go into a strip joint, you go into a bar, you go into a porn store. You can't tell me that there's not demons that like just to hang out there and whisper in the ears of the people that walk in there. It's kind of like saying that cockroaches don't leave certain houses. They do. They stay there. 
You get bed bugs in a house, they stay in that house. Anybody that sleeps in that bed is going to get bit by bed bugs. But now a few of them will stay on the person, right? Maybe you get lice, maybe you get something else. And now all of a sudden you're carrying it with you wherever you go. See, that's how demons are. Some demons, they stay in a location and then you wonder, well, how come I lose my willpower every time I walk in here? I should be able to walk into this place and, and not be tempted. Well, there, you know, there's some bed bugs in that place. If I were you, I'd go somewhere else, right? Think about it. You know, for some people, it's like, man, every time I walk into, you know, Walmart, they got that big liquor thing right by the cashier, right there, the thing. Okay, well, stop going to Walmart to go shopping. Maybe you go to Myers instead. Maybe go to Aldi's where they don't have as much, they don't have liquor out, right? I don't know. But my point is, like, you have to start looking and saying, okay, I'm trying everything with my, my, my power, but the shame keeps coming on me, and I know I'm doing something I don't want to do. Well, God's forgiven you. We can call on the name of Jesus and know that you're forgiven, and it's not about your works, but that doesn't mean that your actions here on earth don't have consequences. And if your actions are causing you to feel shame constantly and you're living with that shame, it's time for you to do something different, so get rid of it. And for some of us, it's we have to do something different. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to recognize that I need to stop going to these places that are tempting me or, you know, maybe it's on me no matter where I go. Okay, well, let's pray about it. Where is God going to lead us? Maybe it's physically something in your body. You know, there's medications that you can take. There's exercise that you can do. There's, you know, there's chemicals in our brain that make us feel different ways. Did you know that if you exercise on a regular basis, it releases, like, these endorphins and you'll feel good? They call it a runner's high when runners get done doing a really long run because you've created all of these feel-good hormones that come up into your, into your brain. Some of us, we just literally need to do something different physically. For some of us, it's a relational, and we've got to talk to somebody about it. We've been holding it all in. See, Satan will try to isolate us. That's why Jesus left the 99 sheep somewhere safe. He went after the one that was all alone and lost and brought it back. Because when we're isolated and we don't have a group that we can be with to feel safe with, to talk about these things, Satan can pick us off. So we have the shame that we put on ourselves by our actions. And then we have the shame that's been put on us by others. Humiliation, right? Or not meeting someone else's expectations. Um, in the Bible times, a lot of times they would talk about the enemies heaping shame upon us. Um, today, though, usually it's people we know, isn't it? It's usually the, the people that we love the most that we think, ah, get behind me, Satan, right? It's, you're my, being my enemy right now. You make me feel horrible. Right? Sometimes your loved ones, you get into a fight with your spouse, you get, you get mad at your kids, and all of a sudden you feel like, ah, oh. thank goodness Jesus said to bless your enemies. <laughs> love those who persecute you. Right? So if I got to love this person that keeps trying to humiliate me, I've got to change my mindset. I've got to change my thinking. I've got to recognize this is because of their sin, and I'm not going to take on those feelings of shame just because they do this. Sometimes we have to put up boundaries, don't we? Sometimes we have to say, like, okay, um, I really, you know, need to maybe switch departments at work because this supervisor over here just, you know, is just not being nice. He's constantly, you know, causing all these problems. Sometimes we just have to pray about it, pray for that person. Jesus says pray for your, those that persecute you. You know, bless those who hurt you. 
Sometimes it's their sin. They've got so much pain and anger. Maybe they're so angry because they don't feel like anybody loves them. And you just start blessing them and you start praying for them that all of a sudden they now feel ashamed trying to humiliate you and they stop. I've had that happen before. I've been in work situations where it's like, oh my gosh, everybody around me thought that I should just be horrible to this person. All I did was love them. I remember one time somebody come into my office crying and they were like, how can you be so nice to this person? We just had this meeting and she just kind of ripped you up one side down the other and, and this person's crying in my office. And I'm looking at I'm like, why are you crying? I was the one that got yelled at in the meeting. And she goes, well, I should have said something, right? All of a sudden, justice is rising up in her because she was a Christian woman. Justice is rising up in her that she should have said something, should have done something different. And I just said to her, I remember saying this to her, I said, her outburst today in the meeting had nothing to do with me. See, I had changed my mindset. I wasn't humiliated in the meeting because I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. Everybody else saw it, though. And they saw my response. And so this other woman's coming to me saying, how could you respond that way in love? And how could you not be upset by this? And I'm, you know, I'm sorry I didn't say something. See, when we respond with love and we recognize, okay, this shame is this person trying to humiliate me. It has nothing to do with me. This is on them. I'm not going to take that. Okay? So we have all these different types of things. Shame. It's a feeling it can cause us to change, right? I remember being in high school and not feeling like I had the shoes that everybody else had. Oh, we know that's a superficial thing. But when you're a kid in high school, sometimes shoes are a big deal, right? I remember, guess what the shame made me feel like doing? I went and got a job. I saved up money and I went and bought a different pair of shoes. So that, in that moment, it changed my behavior. Now, I could have just changed my mindset. In that case, I could have done one or two different things, right? I could have just said... My shoes work just fine. They have no holes in them. They're clean. It doesn't matter what brand they are. And I could have just changed my mindset. In many cases, that's what I did, right? And so change can happen in your mind or in your actions. And it can affect and help you with letting go of shame. Now, the number one thing, though, you have to remember is when you let go of shame is that the goal of shame is to separate us from God. Let's jump over here to Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. The first instance we see of shame coming on somebody is when Adam and Eve sinned. And God showed up in the evening to hang out with them, and it says here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, that the Lord had said, Where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, shame will come on us, and when it's been twisted by Satan, it will cause us to want to hide from God. It will cause us to want to be away from God. And so, you know, because I've got this shame, I've done this bad thing, I can't be in God's presence. And we have to remember, number one, that Jesus came so that we could be clean and be forgiven. When that song talks about clean hands, pure heart, that is real. You have clean hands and a pure heart. Well, how? I screw up every single day. Because Jesus cleans us. The blood of Jesus washes as white as snow. Okay? So I can still go before God even if, even if my actions, right, have consequences here on earth. I, that's like one of the biggest things. Like, well, why should I quit sinning if I'm forgiven? I can go to heaven no matter what. Because earthly consequences cause earthly pain. Right? So we're going to trust God to cleanse us 
Now, if we look here in Psalms 119, verse 80, it says, May I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. Now, this is how they dealt with shame in the Old Testament was, well, if I, just, if I follow all the rules, follow all the laws, I won't be put to shame, right? But the reality is everybody, they couldn't live up to that. They, they still would have things that would um, trip them up, temptations, right? And so they're like, now it's like, I can't go in God's presence. So we can call on the name of Jesus. When we feel shame, it is a feeling that is alerting us to something, just like anger is alerting us to something, just like joy is alerting us to something, right? So when shame comes, it can alert us. But we have to change our mindset to think that it's going to separate us. We don't have to let it separate us from God. We can see in 2 Corinthians, Paul had written to this church, and he had to correct them. And he knows that correction can sometimes bring shame. Have you ever had that happen, right? That's where guilt comes in, right? Somebody's correcting us. So just because we're Christians and we're forgiven doesn't mean that correction doesn't come. And that correction isn't going to cause us to change. So we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8, Paul is saying, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. So even though they're forgiven, even though that they believe in Jesus and they're going to heaven no matter what, he had to correct them and say, look, what you're doing is wrong. It's affecting others. Don't we want to know when our behavior is affecting others? Or when our earthly sin is going to cause us earthly pain. So he's saying, look, I, you were sorry, but because of your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. See, when God brings us correction and conviction to our heart, it doesn't harm us. It makes us aware. We change doesn't affect our relationship with him. We're still loved by him, no matter, you know, okay, I'm going through this. Yep, I've been doing this. But worldly sorrow is different, isn't it? He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, what this godly sorrow has produced in you was, was what earnest, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What justice, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. I love how Paul explains to them, you know, when I had to correct you and you knew who you were in Christ, you were confident in who you were, it was just godly repentance, the godly sorrow. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that we, this was, we were doing this. Thanks for pointing it out. We'll change. He says, worldly sorrow is different. That's that shame. That's that humiliation. Well, when you feel like, well, I can't do anything about it. There's nothing I can do, right? That's totally different than godly sorrow. So how do we let go of shame? Number one, we recognize its origin. Is this something godly? Am I feeling some shame today because, uh, you know, I'm just being selfish and I keep, you know, kicking the dog in the morning and I need to stop doing that. I don't kick my dog, by the way. My doggies are my babies, so I would never kick them, but... You know, if, if it's never something you feel ashamed of that you just know, why do I do that, right? 
why do I yell at, you know, my kid for doing this? I need to stop doing that. I, just, I need to get up a little bit earlier and take care of that myself. When all of a sudden godly sorrow comes on us, godly, you know, feelings of shame that makes us recognize, okay, I just need to do this differently, it causes a behavior change in us. But when Satan twists shame and he heaps upon us humiliation, we got to recognize that origin as well and say, this is demonic. This is not from God. There's nothing I can do about this. This is who I am, and I'm not going to feel ashamed of that. Right? So let's look one last scripture here in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. We always have hope, don't we? It says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. Now, when it's something, it's a godly thing, right? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to trust God then to do the rest. If it's humiliation, I'm going to recognize where the origin is, and I'm going to ask God, to help me let go of that, not to worry about that, not to think about that, but change my thinking. So shame will either cause us to change our behavior or it'll cause us to change our thinking. But in both cases, it is God who helps us. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, I know I will not be put to shame. God is bigger than our mistakes, and he wants to help us. So whether it is something that you're doing, and you want him to help you, you have to just ask him. You have to go to him and ask him. But don't be afraid to examine, why do I feel this way? I think a lot of times they call it, you stuff your feelings. Like, you don't ever look at them. You don't ever. But see, that's why they're a gift from God. God gives you those feelings so that way you can do something with them. I can examine them and say, okay, why am I feeling this way? Even joy. Sometimes it's good to say, man, I've just been really happy lately. What, what's different? All of a sudden you might be like, oh man, I've been going to church every Sunday. I've been a lot more joyful. Well, that's good to examine that, to know that. So then, you know, if all of a sudden you get busy and you haven't been in church for a while and you wonder why I'm depressed, it's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I need to go back to church, right? Or maybe, hey, it's when I take time to call grandma and go visit her every Saturday morning. Man, I feel really a lot better about, you know, dealing with my kids. Why? Because grandma's been giving you some wonderful maternal advice, right? Maybe she's been helping you. So you have to examine these feelings, whether they're good or whether they're bad. So you know what the origin is. You know what that extra ingredient is you've been adding in that is either causing this or that, so you can continue to keep it. See, Satan wants us to believe that we can't be forgiven. And that's sometimes where people hold on to shame. I know I talked with a woman one time. She'd been divorced for over 16 years, and she still carried the shame of that. And I remember talking to her. I'm like, why? Why? And she said, well, God can't forgive me of that. And I said, well, show me in the Bible where it says God won't forgive you for divorce. Well, you know, I began to talk to her, and all of a sudden when she began to examine the origin of this particular shame, all of a sudden she realized it was a lie from Satan. That was a demonic thing that was holding her in bondage in that shame. And she was able to let it go. So I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes when we uh, lay in bed at night, we were talking about that, you know, sometimes it's shame that is holding you back. Look at those origins. Is it something that you do have the ability to change your behavior? You maybe just been kind of lazy about it, or you never really thought about it before, or you never came up with a plan, or maybe, right, you need a support group. 
You need to, maybe you need to talk to a, a therapist. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor or an elder. But look at the origins of these shame and make a plan to either change your thinking about it and to find out the truth or to change your behavior. But know, no matter what, that God is still with you. He loves you no matter what. All right. Well, we're going to have the ushers come forward. I'm going to pray over the communion. What a sermon to go into with communion, right? Because a lot of times Satan will tell us, you can't take communion, you can't take the the blood of Jesus because you're not perfect, you're a sinner. Well, guess what? I'm not perfect and I'm a sinner. That's why Jesus came. He was on the cross. All right, so we have some communion wafers here, wine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen. Amen. So they're going to pass these out. These are our post-COVID, right, communion wafers, meaning they're all sealed up, they're clean, they're sanitized. Um, so what you do is you peel off the top plastic layer first. We just hold on to everything. We'll take it all together. Once you peel off that plat- top part, you've got a cup in one hand and you've got your bread in the other. And you've got to kind of separate out the plastic to get to the bread. So once we get that, all right. Then we've got a wafer and we've got some juice. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, this represents the body of Christ that was broken and beat and pierced for us, and this juice represents his blood. Now, the Jewish people would have a special meal once a year. It was called the Passover meal, where they would eat the the flesh of a lamb, and they would, um, of course, have have a glass of wine. And when they were leaving Egypt and getting away from those who kept them in slavery, they put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. Well, now we have the representation of Christ here, and he was that holy lamb that was sacrificed for us. We can put the blood of Jesus on our hearts, okay, which is the doorway to our soul, to our body. And he, when they were having that final supper, we see it here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, and it says, While he was eating, Jesus took the bread, and then he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So let's just pray for a minute, and then we will take the bread. Father God, we just thank you. Help us to remember to thank you more often for what you did on the cross for us, that by the blood that was shed and your body that was broken, we are healed, we are forgiven, we are made whole, we have peace in our lives. Help us to apply this gift to our lives. May this be our our monthly reminder of what you did on the cross. You did for us to walk in peace. We don't have to be full of shame. We don't have to feel guilty or humiliated. But with your help, we can bring changes to our life, to walk a life that we are proud of, to walk in a life where we are not ashamed, but that we can help others and be able to recognize that we're not perfect, that there's times we do do things we don't like, but that we have the ability and the self-control to do something different. We ask you to bless each and every single person here. And as we take this bread, we ask you to bring healing to our lives, forgiveness to our spirit, 
and peace to our souls. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Take the bread. Verse 27 says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Father, we just thank you that Jesus' blood was shed to forgive us, to make us clean and white as snow. I need that cleanliness. I need that, the blood of Jesus to cover me. And I ask you to cover me right now in the name of Jesus and every single person that is here today taking this communion. Clean their hearts. Make them white as snow. Do not remember their sin. We ask you to be with them and watch over them. Make them whole again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Go ahead and take the cup. We thank you for this, Father. Father God, we ask you to bless each and every single person here. Bless this week they are in. Watch over them and all that they do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. And we will be here next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Hope to see you then. Thank you. God bless.